And that's what I try and tell people all the time when they're stuck in a shop and it's awful and they feel like if they can't make this shop work, then they're leaving the industry. And unless you're from a small town bill and there is no shops within a hundred miles, you're not stuck. You're not stuck. Think of the shop as a relationship. Eventually you will find one that's the perfect fit for you, that you will be able to grow, that you'll be able to be comfortable with and succeed. But you got to go through all the crappy ones first to even appreciate the good one when you do find it. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Des Farrell is in the driver's seat today. She owns Nessie's Customs, a shop where she specializes in custom paint and restorations. She was recently a featured contestant on Motor Trend's Bitchin' Boot Camp. Des brings us along her career journey and gives us a behind-the-scenes experience on Bitchin' Boot Camp. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B coming to you, and I have Des Farrell in the hot seat today or the driver's seat, depending on who you're talking to. How are you doing today, Des? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing very well, and I'm super excited to finally connect. You have been a very busy woman, so I've I've waited patiently, and I was persistent, and we finally are able to connect. And uh, I've been following you for quite some time. I first discovered you on Instagram, and I'm like, this is a pretty cool lady. So thank you so much for being on here and being willing to share your story with the community. Why don't we get started in the beginning? What got you in to this industry? What what was kind of your early beginnings on how you dove into this? And you shared a little bit in the pre-interview with me, uh, but why don't we bring the guests along with the journey? So I didn't get into cars until I was out of high school. I did all the crappy retail jobs and hated life. And then I had gotten a, a little Honda Accord just to drive around. I got in a wreck. And I had found out that it was cheaper to get customized body kits than it was for OEM parts. And once I realized that I can make something unique and mine, and um, I was able to do it myself, like I just kind of fell in love with it. And then, you know, the whole, now that I got a fixed up car, is like, oh, did your boyfriend do it? Or who, what shop did you take it to? It's like, why is that your first response to when you see me with a car? Like, why can't it be me? You don't ask the guy next to me about his, like who did his car? And uh, so, you know, I, I enrolled into tech school. I'm chuckling over here, Des, because I, I literally just worked with a graphic designer to design a sticker that says to avoid injury. Don't ask me if it's my husband's car. <laughs> and I'm chuckling. It's like the same thing. I should make one, you know, to avoid injury. Don't ask me if it's my boyfriend's car. And just to encompass both of them. And I find that the ladies ha- really have an appreciation for that simple message. Yeah. And I think that's the same as like when I go and I meet men in the industry, um, you know, you, you go and you're with, you know, your other colleagues or your guy friends or at a car show or you know even SEMA let's just say you're shaking hands doing business talk and they'll shake the guy's hands but then they'll come and hug you like I don't understand like just shake my hand like you just shook shook (laughs) his hand but like why is that like such an appropriate approach to someone you know that you're in a business setting like just shake my hand yeah no I'm with you I'm you know uh Growing up, my family was not an overly affectionate family at all, like, like my grandma and grandpa were. But we just, like my brother and I don't hug when we say bye. 
Yeah. It's like, see, man, you know, we're just, we're, we're just not in, there's some people in business that are huggers. I'm with you. It's yeah. like, shake my hand. I, I don't know you <laughs> that well. Can't yeah. we just shake hands? <laughs> That's interesting. So they would always lean in for the hug. Yeah. It's just like, and it's always like that. And, you know, I've, I've learned to control my facial expressions when it happens. <laughs> Hard. I used to very standoffish. Like, you know, I, I had to take a step back and kind of realize, you know, like most of them are older generation. And, you know, if one thing we weren't in the industry for them growing up to know, like maybe we don't like hugs. And, you know, so they think of us as their daughters or, you know, just uh, the man's girlfriend, you know, like just whatever it may be. So them shaking our hand doesn't come natural like it does for us like right. we're there to us we're there to meet them on a professional level we have to work twice as hard to be seen that way so to mm-hmm. us it comes natural to them probably not right yeah that is interesting it's just it's just a simple thing but sometimes yeah. we just don't even think about it so you you had this honda you kind of got bit by the car bug and you ended up yes. going to school for it, right? Yes. I, uh, you know, it was right when the first Fast and the Furious movie came out. Not the second one, the first one. That series turned a lot of people into car buffs. It was, uh, it was something. I had it hot peak and it was metal flaked, sparkly. Oh my gosh. I loved it, but don't get me wrong. It was a hot pink car. <laughs> and, <laughs> I won a lot of awards with it, you know, and I think that just kind of fueled me to get better, do more. And, you know, from that moment, I learned that I was always being watched. Like no matter where I went, people knew that was me driving that car. And that was my my business card, essentially. You know, that's my work. Was this in Idaho, Des? Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, you, you'd mentioned that you were from a small town. Yeah, small town. With a hot, sparkly pink car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It was looking back like it's just it's funny because I used to get so mad because I would get pulled over for everything. Like my blinker blunk too fast. My license plate was angled too much. It was just whatever they could find. They would pull me over. Why do you think that is? Um, You know, like now that I look back on it during those times where it wasn't very common for people to have fixed up cars yet. A lot of it was illegal still in Idaho. And, you know, like there was ways to fudge around it and which I would, but it was just a new thing for them to, you know, pick on me and being young, like I probably gave them every reason to, you know, <laughs> pick on me. <laughs> like I wasn't driving like a grandma in my hot pink car. And, you know, I didn't really care at that point. Like, I didn't get any tickets, luckily. But, you know, it was just standing out all the time. Like, it was, there was no getting around. The cop would be, you know, you had like 10 cops in the whole town. So you could only not get in trouble so much. Right, right. They recognize you or they would talk to each other and be like, oh, so, you know, girl in the pink car, if you see her, pull her over because... She needs paperwork or whatever, maybe. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So you had your hot pink business card (laughs) in Idaho. Now, where did you go to school at? So I'm from Twin Falls, Idaho. So it's Southern Idaho. And uh, there's just a local community college there. It's a two-year college. And they have automotive and auto body and welding. You know, they had it in associate degree. So it's a two-year program. Got to learn it all. And, you know, it was super simple to go because it was just right there around the corner from my house. And uh, I just I fell in love with it. I was, you know, and like I said, I was 24, 25 when I started college. So I was in class with 18-year-olds you know, that are still living at their mama's house. And at the time I was married and I had three kids under five, which I don't even know how I did school full time and worked. Seriously. But (laughs) just pause and take that in a moment, Des. (laughs) You are going to school full time with three kids under the age of five. Seriously, 
women out there and work. Th- just pause and take that in. Th- that's that's amazing, Des. It looked like it just hit you when you said it. Like, <laughs> damn, wow, I had three kids under five and I was going to school full time. I'm badass. <laughs> You know, I definitely didn't know how I, how I did it. Like I said, like, I don't really remember those two years a lot because it was just nonstop. Um, I was a cocktail server in the evening. So I would work until 1am and then I'd be in class by 7.30am, five days a week. And, you know, at the time though, like I loved class so much. I loved doing what I was doing that it was easy. Like it, it mm-hmm. wasn't a chore. It was, you know, everything I learned, I soaked up like a sponge because I wanted to be there. And, you know, the kids that were there that, you know, their parents were making them go to school or, you know, they just were kind of like, meh, they struggled and, you know, and it showed. And I've taught my kids that I'm like, for one thing, I'm not paying for your college. You can figure that out. Just like I had to like, but don't go if you don't know what you want to do. Like, I'm not going to force you to do something because that's life that you have to deal with your whole life. Not me. I don't care. You're going to move out. So find something you like and go with it. But I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do because why? It doesn't affect me at all. You had mentioned that you use past tense. So I'm making an assumption here that you were married. You're not not married now. I'm not married now. (laughs) Okay. year. <laughs> okay. So there was a period of time where you were a single mom then and in yes. the industry? Yes. Now I'm just curious about that because there's a lot of women out there that one, either they don't have kids now and they wonder if they ha- can have kids and be in this industry. Two, there may be single moms out there as well that are in this industry and they may be struggling figuring this all out too because what I have noticed about this industry is that it can have very long hours, right? Yes. Particularly when you're talking about custom work and in and, and doing some of those things or having your own shop and having kids. What would you say to those maybe to-be moms or single moms out there about what you did and maybe sh- maybe share some of the struggles that you had and how you navigated them? And- I definitely think... I'm 100% glad that I had kids prior to getting in the industry. For one thing, I was able to enjoy them being babies. I didn't have to worry about the chemical aspect of it all, nor, you know, trying to work in a shop being pregnant. Like, that sounds awful to me. (laughs) Like, I don't know how the pregnant ones do do it. But if if they don't love it, then they're never going to make it. Pregnant, single mom, none of that. Because it is, like you said, there it's not a nine to five. You when you have daycare, you have to have it for, you know, all day and possibly pay for that extra four hours that you're gonna stay after work, you know, because the car has to leave tomorrow and you know, or come in on your weekends to finish a project to get it done by Monday. How did you do it, Des? What did you do? If you look back at what you did, because Let's be honest, you successfully moved through it. And it doesn't mean it was a smooth ride, right? But you're here. You're here now. And you kept on keeping on, right? What did you do? How did you work through it? I was lucky that I had my parents locally during that time. So they helped a lot um, watching the kids and helping me through, through it. So having a support system, whoever it may be, is definitely, I mean, if I didn't have that, I don't know how I would have done it. There's times like, like I want to give up. And then I remember missing out on, so my youngest daughter is when I went to school, she was about eight months old when I started going to school. And so for two years, her first two and a half years of life, I, I literally missed out on. And, you know, even my, her brothers, you know, I missed out on their life and I feel like I don't feel guilty about it, but I feel like I owe myself and I owe them a, uh, I don't even know how to explain Like I have to succeed now to show that it was worth the sacrifice back then. Like I didn't, I didn't sacrifice time for them to do something I thought I would like and give up on it. 
because I lost everything. And, you know, my kids didn't get to have me as a mom during those times. Mm -hmm. So it definitely pushes me like there's times where I would, you know, would think about like, oh, well, maybe I'll be a hairdresser or, you know, something completely different. And it's just like, well, why, why, why did I miss two years of their life in school for nothing then? Mm -hmm. And like that pushed me through enough to, you know, overcome whatever it was during that. And then, you know, even, even all the way, like, I think it was about five, six years ago, I was working at a collision shop and I was lead painter And, you know, it was not an extremely busy collision shop, but it was a busy collision shop. And I was there for a few years. And in those few years, my kids didn't see a doctor once. I never made it to any of their school events. I, you know, getting vacation was like, it's ridiculous to get vacation in the first place. But I missed out on a lot of their, I think they were in middle school at that time or elementary, you know, going in that transition. And, you know, I missed a lot during that time too. And at that time, they're old enough to understand I'm working my butt off for a greater good. Mm -hmm. But if I give up, then, you know, what am I teaching them? What am I showing them that their time with me growing up wasn't worth me taking time off for them? Because in the end, I'm not doing what I said I was going to do. I don't know. Like that's my motive to push through is, you know, I didn't miss all that for nothing. Like I only get 18 years with these kids and, you know, I've missed a lot of it to get to where I'm at and to a point where, you know, I can show them in life. Hard work is what's going to be demanded of them to be what Mm -hmm. they want to do. But, you know, that it's worth it. At some point, it's going to be worth it, whether, you know, it's right away and you're lucky and you just hit the jackpot on your skills or grind for 15, 20 years until you finally get to a spot where you're like, all right, I can relax a little bit. You know, in listening to you share your story, I'm hearing like a couple of things. Don't be afraid to ask for help because we all need help at some point and that's okay. Yeah. And it's like on social media, you see end results, right? But oftentimes not not the journey up to it. What people see on social media is the destination. But there is a journey, and in that journey, there's hard work, there's struggle, there's triumphs as well along the way. You know, in, in listening to it, Des, you're teaching your kids something pretty amazing, and that's the value of hard work. And that's the thing with kids is I find that I love this saying, more is caught than taught. And as parents, we can sit there and say so many things, but what's way more powerful is what they watch us do. You're a hard worker and they're seeing their mom be a hard worker, go after it and get what she wants. And there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. Like you said, knowing that it's okay to ask for help, you know, knowing that, you know, there's more support now than there ever was. But Mm -hmm. one of my biggest things that I've been working on with other people in the industry is fighting for the rights for women for uh, like pregnancy. And it's a very touchy subject. (laughs) I have found, you know, it's almost like, are you Republican or Democrat? Like, it's really a a tough subject that people don't want to talk about. But, you know, in my industry, the auto body and the paint, you know, there's chemicals, there's dust, there's so much bad in a daily environment. But at the same time, you know, the younger generation, they're, they're starting their families. They didn't, you know, I came in afterwards. And Mm -hmm. so trying to find a safe way to keep them not ideally in the shop, but still working safely and promoting, you know, safety first. And yeah. not have the the shop owner be afraid to hire these young women because they're like, well, they're just going to be popping out babies soon. What happens when she gets pregnant? I'm going to be out a painter. I'm going to be out a mechanic, you know, so I'm going to just hire the guy because I know he'll be here. Yeah. You know, it's and it's a sad truth, but it really is as a shop owner, 
that's things that you consider like, oh, are you planning to have a, a family anytime soon? Because that really does affect workflow. It's a tough conversation because here you are a business owner, shop owner does, and wearing your shop owner hat, those are probably things that you have to consider because at the end of the day, you still have jobs that need completed. It is an interesting conversation to have, but we need to have the conversation so that we can continue to evolve this and help create plans for the industry. I'm so glad you're having these conversations and and they don't have to end up being touchy or touchy conversations. Sometimes it's just about, hey, can we brainstorm together? This isn't about attacking and saying you're discriminating against women because you won't hire a female because of this. It's, It's a legitimate concern. I get that. And how can we work with it? To me personally, you know, everyone's different. They're pregnant. And, you know, the seventies, it was safe to drink and smoke. And, you know, as time goes and studies go, you know, we find out that it's not safe. And right now I see, I see this generation of young moms and, you know, they're like, Oh, my doctor said it, it's fine. Or, you know, I just have to wear a mask and I'll be fine. I'm like, that's because the doctors don't know our industry. Mm -hmm. They don't know chemicals and there's never going to be enough like research for them to fully understand the depth of these chemicals can cause like physical harm on right your let alone like your your child like I can only imagine but you know like of course the doctors some are going to be a little more hesitant but it's not enough study and to not be left-wing right-wing of the whole topic but you know it's trying to educate Yes. So they have like a, and not make it to where it's like, well, you know, this is my only job. This is how I support my family. Now you're asking me to not work because right. I'm a, in a shop. And I'm like, I get it. Like, it's not black and white. It's, it's really a tough subject to have to even try to legally have because yeah. It's discriminating or, you know, it's, it's really, you know, trying to get safety, you know, pregnancy paint suits or something, you know, for women to like, well, do you even want them there to work kind of, but then they have to wear it all day because walking through those shop still has chemicals. And like, where do you draw that line? Yeah. You ship them off into the, to the office, like that's not their job. They're not trained to be, you know, office personnel that would have be like office personnel trying to be a painter. Like it just doesn't work that way. I love that you brought that up and it is a big topic and we need to continue having these conversations is what it boils down to. Yeah. No. Now I'm, I'm, I'm curious. You, you were in Idaho and I'm just trying to continue down this path because it, you didn't have to have, those conversations per se, because you had already had your children before you entered the industry. Now, kind of moving forward, at what point did you move out of Idaho? Because you don't live in Idaho now. You live in Arizona now. Right. Well, I got married and then um, we, he was stationed down in San Diego. So that was right when the recession hit 2008. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Nobody was hiring, nobody was let alone hiring, you know, a female at that point, you know, it was the 30 year old body man was getting the job and that was it. And, um, so I took some time off the shop and just kind of got to raise the kids for a little bit. And then, um, he got out and we moved to Phoenix Mm -hmm. and at first I really hated it. And then I realized what an actual car scene as a builder that I have here. You know, it's an amazing city for what I do. And as much as I want to move out of it because I love the mountains and the green and the water um, for what I do, it's just, you know, this is the best place for me. It's a hot spot. Definitely. So when you got to Phoenix, would you do just start putting in applications and... Yeah, like, you know, there's definitely different types of, you know, women and that's completely fine. Like there's some great, you know, stay at home moms and, you know, 
that is a lot of different work and I am not skilled for that. And so as soon as I was able to get work, I was. You had time off with the kids and realized you were not a stay at home mom. I'm with you, Des. I, I have such respect for stay at home moms and stay at home dads. And oh boy, after COVID-19 and <laughs> and the at you know distant learning i my grandmother was a teacher for 30 years and my respect for stay-at-home mom and dads and teachers is through the roof it is just not my thing you know what i mean i'm i'm always going to be working and doing something because i it helps fill my cup like I, I get stir crazy, you know, don't get me wrong. I like to not wake up early every morning, but there's something missing and you can't fulfill it without working or doing whatever your passion is doing. Like you'll always have that emptiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where I, at that time I had gotten to it and I was like, I'm going to find a shop and, you know, I'm going to try and, and get back into this. And it was hard at first because getting back into the industry and having that, oh, I took a couple years off to raise my kids, you know, part. How did you address that? There's no right answer to it or wrong answer. You know, like I just explained, like, you know, this is, he was in the military. I had no choice, but to, you know, it was government and that was it. And now, you know, I have my choice and, you know, I can work whatever hours, uh, you know, I'll work twice as hard, you know, the whole spiel about it. And I was lucky to find a shop. I think it was the third interview I went to and uh, he took a chance on me. You know, I started back down at the bottom as a paint prepper and which I was fine because I just wanted to get back into the groove of everything. And, you know, the shop turned out to be like one of the most awful shops I ever worked in. Like it was legit worse than a Mako. I don't know if you know a Ma- Mako. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So think of that and then make it worse like two times. <laughs> <laughs> what made it so bad? Just, was it the people or? The people were great. The owner was so bad. Like he would have customers come and beat him up. Like, cause he was just so shady. And oh my gosh. <laughs> he was so cheap. Like he would give you three pieces of sandpaper. Be like, all right, sand the car with these and then if you went like hey i need some more sandpaper you would have to bring in your sandpaper that you use he would have to verify that everything was used on it and then he would check out three more pieces or whatever it may be like it was so bad and i was like i'm pretty sure shops are not supposed to be like this and uh, (laughs) i was in trouble so much because like I was a little bit slower, but I was like super meticulous. Like mm-hmm. everything had to be perfect. And at that kind of shop, that's not what they go for. So I would get in trouble all the time. And, you know, they would tell me to just half ass it. And I was just like, I can't do that. <laughs> that's not okay. Yeah. I'm like, how long were you there? I was there, oh, geez, only like three months. Okay. And luckily, the one of the body guys, went for an interview at this other shop and he came back and he's like, Hey, this shop is looking for a paint prepper. And you know, like the shop is nice. It's new. It's got this, the people are great. And he like, I put your name in it. And so they're going to call you. I'm like, Oh, okay. And, uh, sure enough, I went to the interview after work because it was the only time I had. So I drove across the city in my dirty work clothes, you know, and, mm-hmm. I got there and I just let him know. I'm like, hey, I mean, like, this is what I look like. I, I just got off my shift. I work hard. I had no time to change into something nice. And, you know, they hired me and I packed up my stuff and left the next day. I didn't even give a, a notice. Like, I just let him know, like, this ain't working for me. Like, I, I've never done that before, not giving a notice. But I was just like. It was that bad. Yeah. yeah. I did not hear anymore. And uh, like the bathroom was worse than a porta potty. Like, oh that's my how God. And, you know, and that's one of my, one of the first things that I look at any shop that I work at is the bathroom situation because nine out of 10 times, there's only one. Mm-hmm. And you're 
with 10 other dudes that are friggin' gross. Yeah. And <laughs> either go to the gas station that's hopefully just next door or somewhere, or you can use the office bathroom, hopefully. Des, I'm going to pause you for a second because not just women listen to this podcast, men listen to it too. And I'm, I'm often asked by men, you know, what are some things that I can do to make my shop more female friendly? Because there are a lot of men out there who, I don't know if I want to use the word allies, but really encourage women to come into the industry. And it's not yeah. just about getting women into the industry. It's about keeping them in the industry so that they yeah. can continue to develop, right? And honestly, sometimes I feel like we all overcomplicate things. And it's down to the simple thing like what you just said. You know, we don't want to sit on pee, right? Yeah. I want to, we sit to pee. We do not stand to pee. So lift the seat. If you pee on the seat, wipe it off. And, and as simple as this all sounds, you know, I, I lived with my dad and my brother. Uh, my my folks separated when, when I was in um, middle school, and I lived with my dad and my brother. And my brother would have tons of friends over, and they were all dudes. And I was just one of the guys with them. But sharing a bathroom with my brother and my dad, yeah. oh, my God. Like, it, my brother's immaculate now, but when he was in high school and junior high, it was it was freaking disgusting. It was. There's just two, no two ways about it. So would you say to men that want to create an atmosphere that is more female friendly, you know, work environment friendly is check your bathroom out. Check your bathroom situation out. That is a important thing to make it inviting. And the other thing that I've heard, and tell me if you think I'm off on this, is actually uniforms. Having clothes that actually fit the females if you're going to require a particular uniform. For real. Uniforms have been, I think, every woman's nemesis in the automotive industry of finding a correct fit. Not only do you feel like an outsider in a shop anyways, now you look like an outsider because your uniform is ridiculous on you and you feel more like a guy because you're wearing these guy outfits and, you know, you're already trying to fit into this man's world that it just makes who you are that much harder to be successful. Mm -hmm. Like, keep getting these obstacles that you have to overcome or figure out a way to, you know, have this uniform fit you, you know, so that you're comfortable. Because if you're not comfortable with what you're wearing you're going to not be working to your potential because you're pissed off or you're messing with it or whatever right. it is. Or it may just be dangerous. I mean, there are certain things when you're wearing, using like power tools and hand tools, if you have baggy clothes on, it can get caught up in it. Yes. And it's just, yeah, it, it's it's yeah, interesting. So thank you for going there, Des, where it's it's, those are two simple things and tips where it's like, if you're a shop owner and you want to create an environment for men and women, two simple things. Look at look at your uniform and your bathroom. <laughs> and you're not even saying you have to have a separate bathroom for women. It can be everyone can use the same bathroom. Just make sure it's not disgusting. <laughs> yeah, for real. It's I feel like all the shops I've worked at with guys, you know, the bathroom duty, cleaning duty was always looked upon as me. And I was like, you know what? I might be a woman and I might be Mexican, but I am not your housekeeper. I'm like, so clean up after yourself. <laughs> Good for you, man. Like, I'm serious. Like, I will walk my happy ass next door if I have to, yeah. to use it. But it's going to be on your time and dollar. Because you can't provide, you know, a decent bathroom or whatever. And there's been some shops where I've worked that the guys have just, you know, they're really super proud of their clean bathroom, you know. And mm -hmm. it's like, it's comforting to know it's like, oh, okay, so this will not be a struggle, at least here. There might yeah. be something else. At least that part is not. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because I, I doubt men in any industry sit there and have a concern about their bathroom at work. Yeah, no. 
So you went to that particular shop and they had a nice clean bathroom. They passed the bathroom test. How long were you with that shop? I was there, I think, about close to three years. Nice. Okay. I worked every day, all day. You know, the painter ended up getting fired six months um, within me starting. And so they're like, well, we can hire another painter and it'll be up to them if they like you, you know, to stay or not, or you can step up and be a lead painter. And I was like, uh, uh, okay, well, I guess I'm going to step up because I'm, you know, that's my job. And, uh, it was definitely a learning curve and I definitely failed many times and, uh, stayed many late nights fixing and learning. But what I took away from that shop is I had an amazing body man that he and shop owner, the shop owner would have weekly meetings of all of us together, hash out any problems we had with each other, with work, you know, they would bring up whatever it may be. It was like a safe space. And, uh, within that, the body shop itself, there was only like, there's three of us, me, the body man and his helper. But we worked so well together because we would have these almost like marital counseling sessions because in a sense you're learning how to communicate with someone of the opposite sex that you're stuck with more than your significant other usually. And so you have to have a form of communication that can be productive and him learning my, my, you know, my resting bitch face doesn't mean that I'm always cranky or, <laughs> you know, because I miss something isn't him being an asshole. It's just him getting a point across, you know, and once yeah. I learned, you know, we communicated, it was, you know, two peas in a pod type thing. It was yeah. the most amazing like work experience I had. And I, and I tell people that all the time, like, women having struggles with work and communicating with their body men or their painters and stuff like that. And I'm like, you have to step back and you have to look at that relationship like you would with your husband or your boyfriend, because we're literally two different types of people, women and men, and we communicate differently. They don't know you and you don't know them. And until you can understand that, I'm like, you'll, you'll never have that camaraderie like he does with all the other mechanics or body people. In a mutual respect. It sounds yeah. like a mutual respect. Wow. That's powerful. He would teach me, you know, he wasn't a painter, but he understood the process. So he would walk me through a lot. And, you know, without him, like, I still talk to him too. Occasionally, you know, we'll message each other. How are you doing? And, and uh, he's actually asked me for work, like to come work at my shop like, oh, are you guys busy enough? Like, can I come work for you? I'm like, holy shit. Like, I would never expect you to want to work for me because you're the one that helped me get to where I'm at. That's like one of the finest forms of flattery. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I wish I could afford him and, you know, be able to give him health care and, you know, pay what he needs because he is an amazing manager and worker. But, you know, there's just no way that I have that to still be, you know, still talk to him and still have that option. That connection. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes I, with my shop, like it's just usually me, I'll have a person here or there help, but like sometimes I miss having that. Like I miss having, you know, that person push me, having, you know, that the help. Back and forth banter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. It was good times. And, and that's what like I try and tell people, all the time when they're like, they're stuck in a shop and it's awful. And, you know, the workers are awful. The managers are awful. And they feel like if they can't make this shop work, then they're leaving the industry. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, unless you're from a small town bill and there's no shops within a hundred miles away, I'm like, you're not stuck. You're not stuck. I'm like, think of the shop as a relationship, like as a boyfriend, eventually you will find one that's the perfect fit for you that you yeah. will be able to grow that you'll be able to be comfortable with and succeed. But I'm like, but you got to go through all the crappy ones first to even appreciate the good one. When you do find it, we didn't all just land in our awesome shops for nothing. It's an awesome analogy. 
you know, I was like, you're not stuck. You just have to find one that'll work with you and, you know, your personality and who you are. And fortunately, you know, there are some girls that are in our industry that have given girls a bad name of not working right or, you know, being the girl that's like, I can't do that. I need help. And getting help is fine, but, you know, doing it over and over excessively, then you're making everyone work harder. Yeah. Or just quitting and not giving, you know, a a notice. I know I did that first, but but in a fashion that they want to, you know, because you get frustrated and you want to be like, I'm going to blow this place up. You know, like, I hate this place. I'm going to tell them peace of my mind. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's great. But then you just ruined everything for the women trying to go into that shop behind you. Like, because yeah. that's going to think of you when he sees another girl try and take your spot eventually. Yeah. You know, it's don't make it hard for the next person. Just move on, do your thing and call it good. Like, don't don't make it harder because it's hard enough. Right, right. Now, you were there for three years. When you left there, is that when you left to start your own shop? Not really. I left and um, I had gotten burnt out there at that time working with the collision. And so I wasn't looking for any jobs. I was trying to do the stay at home Etsy. Let's create something moment. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was, you know, I was enjoying some of the time with the kids at that point. And yeah. my son's friend, his dad had a hot rod shop here. And they, he, they introduced us and he needed help doing restorations and mm-hmm. I never done the restorations, but he's just like, you have, you know, power web over your schedule. You know, we just do one truck at a time. So, you know, it's not a mad rush and you know, whatever, as long as the work gets done by a certain day, do whatever. And that's exactly what I needed. And so I was like, all right. And he's like, you'll get paid per truck. So in my mind, coming from collision, Like you do two to five cars a day, you know, full paid jobs even. And, you know, it's in, out, in, out, in, out. And so when he's like, when you get this truck done, you know, you go to the next one. I'm like, oh, I got this truck in a a month at the very most, because why would it take so long to do? I had no idea restorations took that long, like way longer than that. And so I got my ass handed to me the first build that I did. And, you know, it, but it sparked something in me that I hadn't found yet in working in the collision side of everything. And it just kind of made me fall in love with that side of our industry of the being creative, being able to take my time and be meticulous and be, um, be able to actually create something, not make it to where it's OEM factory finish again. Like this is truly going to be a custom build. Gave you space to be creative. Yeah. I'm like, that's exactly what I needed. And we did a couple more builds together and then he uh, closed up shop. And so after that, I was like, well, this is what I want to do. I can do it. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started doing my shop. And I think the classes and the shop kind of coincided together. That's awesome, Des. So you mentioned a little bit in the pre-interview about how you kind of lost your fire in the industry. And, you know, it's interesting because you were uh, one of, I don't want to use the word contestant. That's not, I don't know if that's the right word necessarily I'm looking for, but on bitch and rides, right? It, well, it's bitch and boot camp te- technically. And yeah. a lot of people will see that and they're like, oh my God, wow, you've arrived, you're on TV, you get all this publicity and things like that. And you are really in a space of potentially leaving the industry altogether. Wow. I mean, think about that. You know, listeners process that for a moment. And do you mind kind of giving us an opportunity to walk in your shoes a little bit? Why, why did you want to get out of the industry altogether? You shared with me that, you know, I'm, I was burnt out and I just didn't have that passion anymore. When I started everything, I never had any end goals. Like I didn't want to be anything but 
painting my Honda at that time when I went to school. So in the end, I didn't have dreams to own a shop. I didn't have dreams to be on a TV show. I didn't have, you know, teaching aspect, like none of that was there. And doing the accomplishments of doing everything and going through it and, you know, succeeding. And it was great. And, you know, at that time, you know, you love it, but then it was just kind of like, well, now, now what do I do? Because, you know, I've done all this before and of course there's room for improvement, but when this was never my end goal, what can I do to keep me interested in doing more? and kind of lost it, the passion for it. I got super overwhelmed with, you know, projects and demands from the customers and demands on myself to perform and, you know, complete these things at the high level that I know I can do, but it's just, it's a lot more stress than from when I started. And, you know, everyone was, oh, that's great. I'm like, yeah, but if, I looked at that stuff now and be like, it's not so great. Like I see all the flaws in it. How close were you to walking away completely? Oh, I was super close. Like I was like, how much fun would it be to be a Starbucks barista at this point? You know, just clock in, clock out and call it good. Not have to worry about anything. Like I had no drive to do mm-hmm. any of it. I know from the past that if I push myself to do it, it would push me further away. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just had to, to ride the wave of it, ride the, you know, stick it out as much as I could until I found the passion again, until I found something that would push me to the next level. What was that thing? You literally were at the door and it's not like you had to put in your two-week notice anywhere it was literally at that point you just walking away like you had even mentioned just going dark on social media and just walking away and you were that close to it what what was that thing that turned that around for you I think knowing myself better than the moment I was in knowing that I would come out of it. I would doing what I'm doing is what I love. It is my passion. It is everything that I want to do, whether it's just the teaching aspect or just the painting, you know, like whatever it may be, it, this is where I want to be. And, you know, having a couple people in my corner, literally pushing me and dragging me to the shop to complete some of these projects that were just, you know, you look at it and it just weighs you down because you're like, I, I can't move on past this until this project is done. And I can't work on this project because I'm so uninspired and unmotivated to get it done that when I do work on it, I make more issues. Like it's, it just makes that much more work because I'm not fully thinking of the process of it or it takes me I don't know how many times I wiped clean, you know, the skateboard I was painting like four times. I think in the end, I just started from scratch all over again because there's just, I didn't like it. And whether it was, you know, everyone said it was great. It was me that didn't like it. I think it was just the internal struggle of me finding a design or just something to inspire me with that piece of work to have my name on it. And I wasn't finding it. And it felt forced and I hated, I hated the forced art. Like it's never, it's never good. You can always tell. And I struggled with it, but I eventually I overcame it. You know, I got, I knocked out those projects that came out great. And now that that weight is off, just, just a little bit of that weight, but now that that's off, I've been able to breathe. I want to pause you for one second because I want to give you grace here. Thank you so much for being willing to share that. I know there are a lot of women in this industry that respect you artistically. And to see the output of your product and you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. And your willingness (laughs) to share that, yes, I struggle too. 
I commend you for your willingness to be vulnerable and share that because there's two things that I wish human beings in general, and I'll talk to the ladies out there, but the men too, is being willing to say, I need help. I didn't do this all by myself. And I struggled artistically and also just motivation. And for you to sit there and openly admit to a community that I was this close to walking away completely. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Because it, it gives other women the space to to be in it, but also know that you come out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, if, if I didn't love what I do, there, yeah, you can't do this industry without loving it. Mm-hmm. You can't make a career and not love it because it is too hard. It doesn't pay that great to be kicking your ass every day over if you don't love it. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still showing my kids that no matter how hard it gets, I'm still doing what I love Mm. and not letting my, my self doubt or my wanting to be lazy for a while and not give a damn about things. You know, everyone gets to have those moments, but you don't get to live in those moments. So well put. That that's powerful right there, Des. That I think that's uh that's a quote. <laughs> that that's quotable, my friend. Wow. What what an amazing journey. And you know, we don't have to belabor it because I'm sure you've been, you know, really grilled on what the bitch and boot camp experience was like. But maybe in a couple minutes, just out of sheer curiosity, what was that like for you? Just the experience in itself. Um, I'm grateful the experience. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but it was probably the most anxiety, stressful, self-doubting experience I've ever had in my life. Why is that? When you say self-doubting. Because when the show started, it was pitched as kind of an all-encompassing of the industry show. So mechanics, painting, bodywork, metal fab, all of it. And so I was really nervous when I started because I, you know, I, I don't do metal fab then. And, you know, mechanics, I know basic mechanics, but, you know, like to just create something or, or build an entire engine or something, I'm like, that's not going to happen. And so I was really, you know, adamant about like, are you sure I can be in this show and not make women look dumb because that goes against everything I'm trying to do. Yeah. They reassured me and reassured me. And so I go on the show and luckily I already know one of the girls, Brianna, and uh, we're able to, to kick some ass on the show, but you know, it was all metal fab. It was all welding. Everything I did on that show, I had never done before my entire life. Oh, wow. Maybe I've done a patch panel like that. But other than that, I've never, you know, none of that I have ever done. And honestly, when you're at a shop and you're trying to learn something or just you have questions, like you go on YouTube, you go, you research it before you do it. You know, you have an action plan of how you proceed. And we didn't get any of that. So you had a certain amount of time that you had to create this thing and it had to be functional or, you know, it had to look decent because your name is on it and people are watching you. And then, you know, trying to figure out how to use this tool because I've never used this tool before. And, you know, my greatest fear was making me look not like I belong in a a shop and, yeah. I've worked too hard to have that. Right. So it was, you know, every day you go into the shop and you never know what you're getting asked to do. Mm -hmm. And then when you're doing it, you're learning as you go. And by the end of the day, even if you pass the test or that episode, it was, you didn't produce your best quality work. Like it goes against everything you, you strive for. Mm -hmm. And so start self-doubting like, man, do, do I belong here? Do I know these skills enough to, you know, continue? How did you battle through that, Des? 
Um, I kept thinking my only goal was to not be the first one to leave. And, uh, I passed that. And with each, um, challenge passing it, you know, my confidence grew a little bit, but I, I got to this competitive side of me that I never really have. And, you know, I wanted to see how far I could go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that's pretty much only thing that pushed me to mm-hmm. keep going was to show, show other women or guys that you don't have to do this every day, but you can still create something. And without being in a tough situation where you have to learn, you're never going to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, when I went to tech school, I didn't know anything, but I had to be there every day to learn how to do it. And so right. to me, like I had, I don't know if they had actually aired it, but you know, when they're doing the elimination and stuff, you know, they're like, well, why did you do this? Or how do you feel about your project? And it's like, you know what? I absolutely failed. Like <laughs> this looks like crap. Yeah. Like I'm from a shop. I know what there is to do. And like, did you actually watch all the episodes? I did. I've only watched them once. What was that like for you watching the playback? Because there's editing to all of that, right? There's your experience. There's the other contestants experience. And then there's the edited version. (laughs) I'm grateful for some things that they did not show because, you know, struggling with some tools that, you know, shouldn't be struggled with, you know, because you're going into a new shop. You don't know where tools are. You don't know that specific tool you know, whatever it may be. And so I was really scared that they would showcase that. And I'm very glad that they didn't. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to pit each other against us. But in reality, we were all really good friends. Like during it, like we still talk to each other. That's really cool. That just makes better TV, though. If if you guys are, (laughs) you know what I mean? But that's super cool that you guys are still talking to each other now and good friends. That's way cool because that's like a brotherhood and sisterhood because you guys went through that experience together. How were you received? I imagine there's fans and stuff that responded and, you know, for all of those things. What was that part of the experience like? And by the way, I'm just curious, Des, do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? I'm extremely introverted. <laughs> so doing a show like that, yeah. th- like the activity of doing the show, probably, you know, the hands-on work probably wasn't as bad. But I imagine some of the uh, after effects and the spotlight on you, so to speak. Yeah, like the interview portions, like they have in between the cuts and stuff, like uh, probably four or five times easily cut and redid so many times because... You know, I would stumble with my words or they would want me to say it in a way that they wanted it. And I would get frustrated because it wasn't authentic. Yeah. Like, you know, when I have like a quick little quote or you know, a reaction to something, it's not authentic because that was the third time I did it. And now <laughs> it, to me, it comes across as, you know, completely awful. <laughs> Or, you know, like if anyone knows me, they know I don't ever use that word or. Yeah. It was just like, it was really weird. But like the producers and the people there were super nice. Like, you know, they were, it became a family. And uh, how long were you actually doing the, like the actual uh, recording of it? I was there for almost a month. I mean, that was actually a shorter amount of time than I thought. Yeah. There was an episode, I think every two days was a full episode of filming. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think we would do two episodes a week and then we'd have, you know, a few days off and then mm-hmm. again, and then it'd be, you know, anywhere from eight to, you know, 16 hour day filming these things. Wow. And sometimes you had to do it over again, you know, and you're like, oh, wait, let me get this angle right. Or I'm like, this is not going to happen because I'm not going to be able to make this tool the same way it did, you know, two minutes. <laughs> Like better right now, but then you know, working with cameras in your face and you know the pressure of the time, and then that's like an introvert's antichrist. Yes, was doing the show itself very much outside of your comfort zone. My partner's an introvert. When you're like describing that, I'm like, oh my god! Like we were walking out of a retail store today, (laughs) and she's like, 
You know those retail workers? Being a retail worker is like the Antichrist. <laughs> and we were joking around. She's like, I have to talk people. Yeah. Was this very much outside of your comfort zone, Des? Yeah. And I struggled with it at first. I wasn't going to do it. And, you know, just the opportunities that I saw in the end were worth my uncomfortableness at the beginning of it. And mm -hmm. I've never just taken the easy road in life, obviously. And I've always put myself in situations of not the normal. Um, mm -hmm. And to me, this was just another thing. Like it was just one more step in my journey of, you know, whatever I am to complete. Yeah. And to not do it, I felt like there would be that time in life where you're like, shoulda, coulda, but I yeah. didn't. And I try to limit that as much as possible. Like there's very few things that I say I shoulda, coulda. And I apologize. I, I, I didn't finish the other question. I started it and then went off. But how were you received? Like what kind of fan mail, so to speak, or fail me fan messages? W was it pretty positive? Yeah, no, I definitely, when I got let go, when I lost the thing, you know, everyone's just like, oh, you know, you should have won. And, you know, it's just a technicality. And, you know, and then I get people that I don't know. And they're like, you did so awesome. And, you know, like, can I have your autograph, sign this? And it's just foreign to me. And it's really that part of the whole experience is just it's awkward because like to me i'm just a normal person mm -hmm. that you know got tv on me showing my worst absolute worst work <laughs> ever like you know and that's i think the biggest thing i walked away with was having the knowledge that i totally failed on tv multiple times but there's literally nothing else that scares me because as an introvert, that's the scariest yeah. thing on earth. You literally had the spotlight on you. Like literally. Yeah. <laughs> right? Not figuratively. Literally. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for letting us into your world. I think this is a great time to launch into the red line round. And what the red line round is, is just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Are you ready? All right. Another thing an introvert would love. <laughs> Stuff like this, right? So question one, who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Uh, you know, honestly, like it's myself because I've, I didn't grow up with women in the industry to idolize or to see complete things that I was doing. So to me, every step I did helped the person behind me so that would push me forward to complete more to help others and that's what kept me going i love that answer des i love it <laughs> you know it's okay to believe and find inspiration in yourself i love it i love it thank you for doing that where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on the job um, depending on what it is, like type of thing, I reach out to either like my refinisher family, you know, there's a group of us that or shop owners, we've been there, done that. And, uh, you know, we help each other as much as possible. Or, you know, there's always YouTube, and trying to figure something out. But there's always some way you can find your answer. You just have to know where. Love it. Des, what excites you most about what you do? You know, seeing the customer's face when it's a finished product of exceeding their expectations through the the tears and the struggles of wanting to give up on it every every project, you know, seeing how happy that customer is. That's the whole purpose of it is to give them what they want and be better. Mm. Yeah. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry when you feel stuck? or discouraged a personal habit no does not mean no and I think my habit is to not to not give up honestly not letting myself give up because I've been there almost but you get to a point where you know you hear no so much that you don't it doesn't really phase you anymore because there will be a yes there eventually 
And if you make it a habit to keep pushing forward, then, you know, you're your own worst enemy. No Hmm. one else. And finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in this industry? Don't feel alone. You might be the only one in your town, but there is so much resources available for you to learn how to navigate the industry, to learn how to do a skill set, to just cry and vent to. There's there's someone out there that will help you no matter what and to not be afraid to ask for it. And where and how can people connect with you, Des? I'm always Instagram, message me. Um, I have a Facebook page as well, email. What are the handles? Just so they know. Nessie's Customs. Instagram is at Nessie's underscore mm-hmm. customs. And then Facebook is just Nessie's Customs or Des Farrell. I'm always good at answering messages all the time. If I can help someone, I will. Or I will refer them to someone else. And pretty easy going. Des, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat and really pulling back the curtain and letting us into your world and being so authentic with us. I so appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Des from Nessie's Customs, and I'm a femcanic. Christy Lee is in the driver's seat next. Well, I'm not sure an introduction is really needed. Her bio reads like a sizzle reel, and she is arguably one of the most famous women in the automotive industry. She has appeared on ESPN, ABC, Speed, Fox Sports 1, Motor Trend, and NBC Sports, either as a pit reporter, analyst, host, or leading the broadcast. Be sure to tune in next week. You won't want to miss this episode. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, Do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?